and everyone talks about it, but it, you've got to have your niche. You've got to find it, and you've got to live it, breathe it, and be it. Because if you're in that niche, it makes your life a lot easier. If you're all over the place, it's just so difficult. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. I'm delighted to be joined today by Craig Paisley. Craig started his recruitment business in 2009 and is a seven-figure solo operator. He actually built his company, IRG, to eight employees before downsizing to a solo operation in early 2020. IRG is currently ranked the 56th best staffing firm in the U.S. by Forbes magazine. Craig specializes in partnering with companies within the food, beverage, and pet food manufacturing distribution industries across the United States and Canada. Craig, welcome. Thanks for being here. Hey, how are you? Glad to be here. Fantastic. Could you explain briefly like how we first were introduced? Uh, yeah, it was actually through this, through a podcast. Um, I, uh, I, I tend to exercise a fair amount, and with that, I like to run. And while I run, I like to listen to a lot of podcasts. And I had a, uh, an email of sorts that got sent to me that uh, had referred your podcast, and I had listened uh, to a handful of yours, liked what you had to say. So thought I'd reach out to you and talk with you. And um, yeah, I think that's how we kind of got there. So. I'm so glad you did. And uh, like you and I had quite a long conversation before. Um, and, you know, definitely felt that you would bring value to our, our listeners. Um, Craig, do you, I'm sure you realize you have a Scottish name. Have you ever been over here? I have, I have, I, uh, in my early twenties, I, okay. I, I did a, a trip around what Great Britain. I started in, uh, the UK or not UK. I started yeah. in London. Um, yeah. and then took the train up to Edinburgh, spent a few days in Edinburgh and then flew over to uh dublin and so yeah didn't make it to paisley but um <laughs> yeah i've been there once it's, it's a great country so yeah all right awesome if you make it back then uh let me know we can we can meet up at, yeah yeah P if you fly into glasgow then you actually will yeah it's glasgow airport is actually in paisley so um uh, yeah cool. it, it's to be honest you're Edinburgh is much nicer than Paisley. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was so an amazing, did, amazing city. Much. Yeah, no, it's an amazing awesome. city. All right. Cool. So listen, um, you've been at this on your own for, I guess, 12 or so years. How did you get into recruiting in the first place? Uh, like most people, um, just kind of fell <laughs> into it. Uh, graduated from, from college and didn't know exactly what I wanted to do and Long story short, um, my roommate at the time said, hey, you should talk to a recruiter. I had no idea what a recruiter was or what recruiters did. Uh, and then through conversations, I ended up at a small staffing company uh, doing recruiting. Uh, the focus was strictly uh, maintenance-related people in California. And uh, that was, what, 1999, I believe. Um, Got into it, thought I would do it for a year, just kind of get my feet wet and the the work world, and then move on. And now it's been what twenty two years. So yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. I you you wouldn't believe how many people tell me they originally only planned to do it for a year, right? And yeah. uh, and you're still you're still here. So fantastic. So um, what inspired you to set up IRG? 
Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I when I first got into staffing, I, I didn't know what I was doing at first. And then once I kind of got my feet settled and I understood what it was all about, I, I really kind of enjoyed it. I just enjoyed the processes. I enjoyed dealing with companies and dealing with people and just being kind of that middle person. And I realized I was, I was pretty good at what I was able to do. And, you know, I thought at some point in my career, um, I would want to start my own company. Um, Mm -hmm. just never, I didn't have a goal in mind. I didn't have a date, a year or anything of that nature. I just figured at some point I'd want that opportunity to probably give it a shot and give it a run. Um, but the company that I started with, I actually stayed with them for 10 years. And so, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it, it was almost two companies in one. The first five years we were just a small staffing firm. Uh, there's probably 10 of us total. And, um, kind of just a, a you know that boutique type firm everyone just kind of did their own thing had a good time and then uh the company merged with a, a light industrial staffing company which transformed the organization and we went from you know one office and 10 people by gosh what was it 2008 we had uh we were in three states um we had multiple divisions um and upwards of 100 million in revenue and so um you know, it was one of those where right around that five-year mark, I was kind of getting itch, getting that itch to look elsewhere. And then the company changed. And from there, it was like a whole new company, I guess. Um, and spent five years with them in different capacities from helping them build a, a, a clerical unit, then moving over into light industrial and working my way ultimately up to a point where I was the VP of sales. And um I was, gosh, by then I was about 34, 35, and I kind of hit that crossroads of either I stay with this company forever or uh, this is my opportunity to to part ways and, and start my own thing. And for a bunch of different reasons, um, it made sense at that time, even though it was in 2009, which we all know was a terrible right. time. <laughs> um, I, I left uh, one week shy of 10 years and started IRG in October of 2009. So, Wow. So what was that first 12 months like in terms of like starting a business during a, you know, a, a huge downturn? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it would be like with anybody starting a company in the staffing world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you're kind of fighting, you're clawing, you're itching your way to any placement you can. Um, I didn't really have a, a reserve set up. Um, I really only had enough to maybe get by for four to six months, but um, yeah, it was tough. It was a grind. I, I just pounded the phones and I worked hard and uh, any opportunity or position that I got, I worked hard on it. And luckily I was able to make placements and string enough together to where I started building up some momentum. Um, and then can't remember exactly the time, but it was almost towards the end of the first year, middle to end of the first year, where the workload became too much in that I was getting too many requisitions and I couldn't get to them all that I actually brought in somebody. Um, so within the first year, I had one person working for me, um, but it was still very emphasis stages, um, hanging on by every placement, if that makes sense. 
So. Absolutely. Anyone who is recruiting back then will will know, and who's <laughs> survived it will know what that uh, what that requires, and uh, the mental toughness as well as just being you know hustling and and doing the work. Um, so at what point did you build up to the level you are now where you're doing, you know, touching seven figures per year? Uh, well, that's more recent. Um, mm -hmm. I would say, uh, so last year, 2020 was the first year that I had a, uh, a significant <laughs> jump in revenue. Um, I guess personal billing, um, and, you know, coincidentally, that's my first year being back on my own again. Um, and then this year, I've just extended that to, um, yeah, almost, I didn't quite hit uh, seven figures, which a little disappointing. I think I'm going to end up about 50,000 short, but uh, <laughs> I know, so close, right? But so close. Still. <laughs> Still, that's, yeah. uh, that's yeah. a hell of an achievement. Well, okay, I obviously missed a step then. Like, there's a story. I don't want to take the whole time on it, but you just you built a firm, but then you scaled it back. Why? Why did that? Why did you make that decision? So, it is a long story, so I won't go all the way into the weeds <laughs> with it. But uh, when I started the firm. Um, my idea was always to, I want to build it, build it, build it, but never get too big, maybe get to like 10, 15 people, but big enough to where I might be able to take a backseat and only have to, you know, make a placement or two a month and, and really more focus on the team, um, and build a company so that it's large enough and viable enough to where a company might want to purchase it. Mm -hmm. Um, and makes total sense. Yeah. And so we were, we kind of trudged along doing that for got three, four years. We were moving along pretty good. And then um, about, what was it, year five, six-ish, uh, we kind of took our first leap um, and got closer to like 700,000 in billing. And there was four or five of us at that time. And then the next year we got to 900,000 uh, in revenue and we got up to eight people. And I was like, eight, nine people. I'm like, we've got this. I had a couple salespeople, the rest were recruiters. We had an intern. Everything was just moving along well. Um, and I was like, okay, I've kind of turned the corner. And now this thing's going to really start taking off and we can punch through a million and get you know closer to that two, three million mark. Um, and then we had the next year, um, things the, that year wasn't as good of a year uh, for the organization. Billing was down, partially due to some decisions I made about the direction to take the company. Uh, and one of the big things was, is I pulled myself out of recruiting a little bit too soon um, because mm -hmm. at the time I was still doing about on average, you know, about 400, maybe 450 a year in billing myself. And I, so I started pulling back and unfortunately that the amount that I pulled back wasn't made up elsewhere. And so what happened was, is it wasn't as good of a year and then all of a sudden I realized there's a, a tremendous amount of exposure that I have, financial exposure. And mm -hmm. um, that got me a little bit uh, concerned. And I was like, well, I mean, we were going well, we were doing great. And all it takes is one bad year, one off year. And then it's like, okay, you're almost like starting over again. Um, and so some other things kind of happened during that time. And we had some people leave and I just didn't, replace them. Um, and so we went from eight and then kind of slowly went down. And at one point we were down to five people. Um, and 
the business itself was just kind of like a, uh, I don't know. We were just listing out there, if that makes sense. It just, mm-hmm. you know, I had great employees. I had great people working for me. But at the same time, it was like I'd look around and I was just, I was just not happy with where everything was going. And it was like either I make a decision. Either I shut this down and just go at it myself or I reinvest and give it 100%, really more like 150%, and start growing it again. Um, and on the backside of this, uh, my family and I, we started doing a lot of traveling. And it was summer travels where we would take off and go explore a city for you know four, six, eight months, whatever it is. So every summer we would go somewhere, hunker down, and I would work remotely. Uh, so before there was remote work, really, I was doing it. And um, so it was, gosh, get my ears straight here. It was 2019. So the end of 2019, my wife and I decided that we would uh, pull the kids out of school and um, I would downsize the company to just me and we would travel the world. Take the year wow. or two, we okay. would travel the world. Um, that's a and, bold, uh, a bold plan, Craig. Like yeah, that's not yeah. for the faint-hearted. No, it was, and you know, I think part of it was because we've been doing so much travel beforehand. You know, going to like say Vancouver, BC for a month and a half. You know, then going to travel around the world for a year wasn't that big of a leap. You know, and I already knew I could work remotely anywhere. So that piece was kind of covered. And and at the same time, like I said, we were just kind of in a weird spot with the company. And it was, you know, it was a perfect time with our kids and their age and school and all that. We're like, hey, let's do it. And so um, January 1, I sat down my existing employees and explained to them that I was traveling the world. I was taking the kids out of school and we were going to be gone July. So go look for uh, work elsewhere. Um, and so uh, my last employees last week was mid-March. So basically when everything shut down wow. with COVID, uh, I had zero employees. Um, the only thing I was sitting with at that point with overhead was a rent uh, in my office space. But um, so fortunately- That was unbelievably fortunate. To- well, I mean, it's bad news. You didn't yeah. get your round the world trip, which exactly. must have- been a disappointment, but it's quite amazing how fortuitous it was that you let people go just at the right time. Yeah, from the COVID point of view. Yeah, I mean, it, it timing wise, it couldn't have been any better in that regard. But yeah, like you said, it's one of those where uh, I would have given that up in a heartbeat to be traveling, mm-hmm. you know, and and yeah, because um, that's just an experience that you know it's. It, it, for me and for for my family, but really a, a lot of it for my kids, you know, to have them see the world and see different cultures and people and things of that nature. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully one day we'll try to do it. But, um, you know, with life, there's curveballs. And now I'm in. Yes, I there moved. is. <laughs> so, so, Craig, um, what is quite amazing, though, about your story is you've now built up to the point where you're equaling or maybe surpassing the billings that you achieve with eight people and you're doing it on your own this time. So I'd love to hear how the heck you have organized yourself to accomplish that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this will, yeah, so 20, 2021, this will be the most I've ever billed in IRG's history. 
So um, amazing. Yeah. And it, it's me. And, and then one of my employees, I helped him uh, start a company. And so he does recruiting as well. And so he helps me with uh, positions as well. So it's not a hundred percent me. It's probably mm-hmm. about 95% me. So I can't take all the credit, okay. but, um, I think the biggest was, there was a lot of factors, but, mm-hmm. uh, the biggest piece was the technology side of it. Um, that's what's really allowed me to, um, uh, do more, handle more. Um, I've got a pretty robust, um, tech stack in place. And so, um, that's allowed me to, I've always been pretty efficient and fast in what I do. Um, I've always thought I can work at the equivalent of maybe two recruiters, maybe two and a half. But now with my tech stack and what I have in place, I probably work at the equivalent of maybe four recruiters or maybe one one salesperson and three recruiters. And so, um, so Craig, this is a topic that we talk about a lot in my inner circle coaching group. Would you mind sharing what is your tech stack and how do you deploy it in order to, you know, make placements? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the two main pieces, I'll kind of break it down. Uh, the two main pieces is my, the ATS I utilize is bullhorn. Um, okay. and so I, I switched over to bullhorn about four years ago because I saw that, I, I'm not an early adopter when it comes to technology. I'm right on the heels of the early adopters. And so about three, four years ago, I started uh, not panicking, but I, AI started coming into the, the, the staffing world. And I was worried that the AI piece related to sourcing uh, was going to have a huge impact. And so I wanted to make sure I was ahead of the curve, not behind the curve. And in talking with a lot of these companies that were doing sourcing, utilizing AI, they all were saying the same thing. We are partnering with Bullhorn. We integrate with Bullhorn, 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 Bullhorn. So that's why I said, look, I got to switch over to Bullhorn. So we went over to Bullhorn. um, And then um, I utilized uh, Haley Marketing for my website. Um, But Mm -hmm. that's not as much on the tech side. But it does in that it helps with my job postings. But... Um, so I have bullhorn and then the first step in my process was the automating piece, which, um, it's called here fish. So here fish. Yeah. So I was, I, I, I think I was like within the first 50 or so that was utilizing here fish. So, uh, so I utilized here fish who bullhorn now bought. Um, and then with that, there was a little community amongst here fish and some of these other companies that all kind of partnered together. So then from here fish, I quickly went over to text us um, and text us is my texting platform. And then from there um, I also got the um, I forgot what it's called now, but there's a, a plugin that you can get with LinkedIn and bullhorn that allows me to access uh, candidates in LinkedIn. I can see their profile from bullhorn. Um, which is, mm-hmm. I, I think it's LinkedIn RSV or something like that. I can't remember what it is. Um, and then after that, I added um, Daxtra, which is my sourcing uh, aggregator. And it also utilizes AI, but it's really more of a sourcing aggregator that integrates directly into Bullhorn. And then from there, uh, I implemented 3D IQ, which is my online um, 
resume submittal platform, which is a great program. Um, and then the last one was I added, uh, what is it? Uh, great recruiters, which is a, um, a ranking platform. So candidates have the ability to rank me as a recruiter. And then that's something I can share with either clients or candidates or whatever the case may be. So that's kind of the, what I have in place now. Um, I started, right. I started the process in 2000, summer of 2019 is when I got in with Herefish. And basically, you know, the way that it works, unless you buy, unless you get into like a CRM that has everything already in place, it, you can't do it all at once. And if you try to do it all at once, you'll, it, it just won't work. It's, it's so much that goes into each and every one of them. I mean, here fish, it took me at least six months before I was completely dialed in. Some of the other platforms a little bit easier, but each of them are like three months just to understand it and be able to utilize it effectively, you know? So explain what here fish does for you. Uh, so here fish is like the motor. If you want to think about it in the tech stack in that, um, that is my, I don't know what the term is. I guess it's the automating piece. Um, mm-hmm. And and what drove me to, to Hearfish, I still remember it was a, I was focusing more on sales uh, at that time. And it was a Friday and I, you know, had all my sales calls and then I had a bunch of emails uh, that I was going to send to potential clients, customers, whatever the case may be. And I, I pushed those all to the end of the day. And it was like Friday at two o'clock and I had like 40 emails and I went through and did all 40 emails and it took me like two hours. And I look back and mm-hmm. every email was almost relatively the same. And I'm like, this is a waste of my time. I'm like, I'm, there's gotta be something out there that can do this for me. And so that's what Herefish does. It automates a lot of the recruiting process. So all of my sales and marketing is through Herefish, um, which means I don't, I don't email clients or customers or prospects or anything of that nature. Herefish does it for me. Um, and then on the recruiting side, Herefish does all my texting and emailing to candidates so that I'm reaching out to the first time. So like before I would say source and I'd pull like 10 people and what I would do is I would take their information, I'd email them and then a day later I'd call them and then I'd email them again and then call where now um, I just kind of dump them into an automation and here fish will automatically, there's a full sequence of what they would do. Uh, It's almost like an email drip campaign, but for Mm -hmm. candidates. And so I put them into this automation and it'll automatically email them and text them. It'll wait a day, email them, text them again, wait a day. And then it'll set a reminder for me in the system, wait a day, send another reminder and then send, you know, like a final email or however you want to build it. So basically, all of that, um, I don't know what the word is, you know, the, the day-to-day tasks that you don't need to be doing, it does for you. So, so okay, I, I get it now. So you program a cadence, you know, of contact events yep. to reach out to either a client or a candidate, which can include emails, uh, like an email sequence, text messaging, now, the reminder to you on the system, is that to, to make a phone call? What's yeah. the reminder? Yeah, it's to make a phone okay. call. And so what happens right. is with our day and age now, if I drop 10 people into um, 
a hear fish automation for a potential mm -hmm. position, by the time we get to that calling stage, I'm usually only calling two or three people because the other seven have already responded because they'd rather Amazing. respond to me via email or text than a phone call. Mm -hmm. So my phone calls right. were before was majority of me reaching out to candidates to try to talk to them about a position is now more, my time is spent more screening candidates, getting them prepared for interviews and things of that nature, less of, hey, my name is Craig, I got this position type call. Um, totally. And, and right. the same on the sales side too. I'm getting, mm -hmm. now it's, you know, it's just more inbound. I'm getting companies emailing me saying, hey, I've got these positions. And so now I'm just following up with them to help them out rather than me going out and making 20, 30, 40 sales calls a day. I'm really awesome. just doing follow-ups on people that are responding back to what I'm sending to them. Fantastic. I love it. Before I go to my next question, I'd like to share one of the keys to my success in recruitment and in business. You may have noticed that a lot of the people I interview on this show have a coach. That's not a coincidence. Most high achievers have a coach, including me. I've worked with various coaches over the last 20 years, and it's been a huge factor in my own personal and business growth. Here's why. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest for the trees, and it really helps to take a step back and look at how you can improve the business and get a fresh outside perspective from someone who's bringing new ideas and insights to the table. Plus, as a business owner, who is holding you accountable and helping you stay on track? So I want to encourage you, if you're not already working with a coach, get one. It doesn't have to be me. There are plenty of amazing coaches out there. Just find someone who you believe will add measurable value to your business and can help you get to the next level. If you do want to explore a coaching relationship with me, then you're welcome to apply for a free 30-minute strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. This is not a sales call. My number one objective is to help you to get clear on your goals, identify the roadblocks that are holding you back, and create a strategic plan to increase your billings and grow your business. I promise you'll leave our session feeling focused, re-energized, and excited to take your business to the next level. You can apply at www.recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. So the text us, is that just the texting platform that plugs into Hearfish to facilitate yeah. that piece of it? Yeah. Okay. And so they integrate right. also into Bullhorn. So every one of these yeah. integrates into Bullhorn. Um, and really, like for those that are trying to get into technology, I mean, there's really two ways to go about it. You 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 sign up with uh, Bullhorn or one of the other large ones, and you just make sure that they have a community of um, technology pieces that integrate. Because if they don't yeah. integrate, it's it's not worth it. Because then you're bouncing from platform to platform to platform. <laughs> totally, I think like the but the. Whether people go with Bullhorn or not, they need a platform that has a lot of integrations and and an uh, an API an open API that they can plug in different things. Exactly. Um, exactly. Rather than because otherwise you've got you're using three or four different platforms at the same time and it's very clunky. So okay, um, and then you mentioned what was it? Dex Dextra 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 Dextra. Dextra. What what does that do? So um, it's kind of like my um, uh, aggregator of sorts. Um, yeah, you said that, but I don't really know what you mean by that. Uh, so 
instead of like I utilize, say, Monster, Career Builder, you know, LinkedIn, and all these different sites. So rather than going and Indeed, so rather than okay, I'm going to go to Indeed and do a search. Then I get out of it. And then I go into Monster, do a search. And I get out of it, go into Career Builder, do a search. Instead of having to go to all these different sites, I just go to Daxtra, and it actually will just pull candidates from all those sites all at the same time. So I don't have to bounce around. So that's kind of what an aggregator will do. It'll just allow you to go to one place to pull from multiple locations. Um, but then it also integrates directly into Bullhorn so that I can, if I, if I grab candidates, I can immediately match them to positions and then throw them into automations. I can see the notes I have on these people. So instead of like being in indeed finding someone and then having to go out and then go into bullhorn and then try to find the person and I can just click, click, click. And I can see, um, what the information is if I'm already talking to them or what I've done with them or whatever the case may be. And then there's another feature where whenever I create a position in bullhorn, uh, Daxter will actually pull it and will turn around and will go into my database and will basically match people to that position, automatically drop them into my Herefish automation and will basically, the, the long and short of it is, if I open a position within 15 minutes, anywhere between five to 15 candidates are getting an email or text about the position with me not having to do anything. Wow. So. I right, two questions about that. First of all, um, what about enriching the data to find mobile phone numbers, email addresses, that kind of thing? It's there. Um, the um, which which technology uh, uh, do you fish. use for that? I, oh, that's within your fish. Okay. I would use. I haven't gotten there yet. Um, I need oh, okay. to. I actually went through um, and I started building it out. I just haven't rolled it out yet but that is one of the big things with herefish is the ability to do enrichment get new resumes contact info and all that stuff because um, you can do and platforms through that so. what uh what tool do you use to pull the contacts out of linkedin and get them into bullhorn so that's the only part that's not that great it's not that efficient okay. i can actually so there, there is that API between Bullhorn and LinkedIn. And so I can okay. go into LinkedIn and LinkedIn will actually, as I'm in there, it'll show me if that person's in Bullhorn or not, right? And, uh, and so I can tell if I already have them in my database. I actually have an ability where I can just, while I'm in LinkedIn, I can uh, click a button and then they'll automatically get imported into Bullhorn. So it's oh, there. Cool. The problem yeah. is when they import it over, it doesn't bring over the profile of the candidate. So mm. it's... Does it even have a link, like a link to the profile or... No. I, well, oh, it does right. because once I'm in Bullhorn, I can click on the... I have a tab and then it'll send me back into the LinkedIn, right? But okay. mm -hmm. the problem is, is if I'm doing a search in the future in the database, that individual is not going to show up because there's no profile or resume or whatever you want to call that LinkedIn right, attached to it. Right, so right, right. <clears throat> that's where it's a little clunky. Uh, so then I just do it manually. Um, but that piece is probably maybe I'm manually moving over one or two a day at most. So it's very minimal. Mm -hmm. um, you need a virtual assistant for that, Craig. I know I do. I know. We've <laughs> talked about that. Let's yeah, let's. Okay. So, um, and there's, okay. So, but here fish, 
can give you the contact information is what you're saying. Oh, no. Like if, if to actually pull like, contact info, no, it does. Yeah. There's, there's no, it can do enrichment of my existing database to get yeah, yeah. resumes and everything up to, you know, to, to, to current year by reaching out to candidates, say, Hey, we have your profile updated. But in terms of like pulling oh. telephone numbers and, and email yeah. addresses and that, I don't, um, that's one piece I don't have. Uh, uh, all right. We should but, talk about that then. Cause I, that's critical. Like for your, cause then I'm, I'm just thinking if they're going into your, um, here fish sequence, automation sequence, like you, don't you need the accurate email addresses and phone numbers to be able to email and text them? Yes. There must be a percentage or is there a percentage that are missing that you just have to call or like, how do you um, so address that? I mean, 99% of the people that go into the automation, I have contact info for them. Um, but where did you get it from? From the, the job boards. The only place I'm ah, not getting okay. it is from LinkedIn. LinkedIn. But see, right, what I okay. do is I, I, for me on LinkedIn, I feel it's a little mm -hmm. bit different than all the other job boards. And it takes a little bit more effort there. Um, and there's, mm -hmm. it's a little bit more delicate in terms of how you're going to utilize it to be effective. And so the LinkedIn piece is kind of separate from all of my automation piece. So I have the my database and I have the job boards that's all in one bucket. The other bucket is LinkedIn and I treat it separately. Um, oh, okay. And the reason being is like I said, LinkedIn can be a very effective tool if you're utilizing it properly, you know? Mm. And so, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I can definitely help you with um, getting the data out of LinkedIn, enriching it with phone numbers, emails and, and, you know, and then incorporating that into your database and bullhorn so that you're then able to use your other tool here, fish and treat, you know, set up sequences for those folks as well. But, um, you mentioned, I, I'm sure there was something else that I missed. What was the other? Uh, so here? yeah, there's 3d IQ. Um, and so that's my resume submitting platform. And oh yeah. What do you mean by that? Resume it's uh, it's a super cool program. Um, basically, what happens is um, it's all done in Bullhorn, and mm -hmm. more or less, I I put together the resume, and then I put together my recruiter notes, like everybody does, and then I just go into there's an open API within Bullhorn, which is the 3D IQ. I click there, and I just build together almost like an email. And it gets sent to the client and then it automatically marks the candidate as submitted. So you don't have to go through and do that. And then what happens is it'll automatically send an email to whoever the main contact is. Uh, but the resume comes over in the form of a link. So there's no like attachments. There's no nothing. It's a link. And right. so what happens is they click on the link and it opens up a web page. And from there, um, it, it'll show the recruiter notes or profile and then the resume. Uh, and then at the bottom, they actually have the ability to approve or deny the candidate right then and there and add comments, right? So it's all mm -hmm. very fast in terms of being able to get responses and whatnot. And Plus, you know when they've actually looked at it. That's the biggest thing is mm -hmm. now I know when they've actually opened the resume. 
And it's funny, like I just, you know, all of a sudden I'll come in or I'll be working. All of a sudden you'll see, like I may say, like send three candidates and then all of a sudden, boom, 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 all three of them are open. And then a couple minutes later, Mm -hmm. you get the email saying we want to interview these people. Or, you know, you'll see your contact opens it and then you know it's getting forwarded to the hiring manager. Then you could see a day later the hiring manager's looking at it. So you know who's looking at it, when, and how the process is, and where they're at. And then that way it helps you in terms of following up to say, hey, I, I know you looked at it, but I know, you know so-and-so hasn't checked yet, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever the case may Great. be. And then on top of that, on the back end, mm-hmm. is my clients, they actually have access into Bullhorn. I allow them access to get into their positions and they can actually get in and see every position they have with me and every candidate that's been submitted and where they're at in the process. So it gives them like that ability at any point to go in and check and see, okay, this is what we've seen, who we've seen, and it's all in one place rather than having to come to me and say, okay, where are we at? How many people have you sent? This, that, and so forth. They have all that information right at their fingertips. So Fantastic. I did a poll on LinkedIn recently to find out what fee percentage recruiters charge, and it confirmed what I'd learned from speaking with so many recruiters every day. The majority of recruiters are undervaluing their service and cutting their fees to become more competitive. Listen, if you want to protect your cash flow and build reserves to protect your business against whatever might happen in the future, you need to be earning more for each placement, not less. The challenge, of course, is how to increase your fees and still be competitive. iIntro has helped hundreds of recruiters to make small but critical adjustments to the way they pitch and win business so they can win more clients who are also willing to pay higher fees. For example, one of their clients typically earned £5,000 per placement. But just a few weeks after working with iIntro, she won a new piece of business on a retainer. So in other words, she got a deposit and her fee was an incredible £20,000, four times her average. If you'd like to see how iIntro can help you to grow your recruitment business and increase your average fees, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained and book a free consultation. There's no obligation, and if you mention that you're a listener of the Resilient Recruiter podcast, iIntro have pledged to offer you a 25% discount off any of their services. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained to get started. Talk to me then about from the time you take an order that you decide you're going to work on mm-hmm. and like what uh, what's the time frame to be able to, you know, deliver those candidates and, and get interviews scheduled? Uh you know, the turnaround, I, I take a little bit longer with my candidates than a lot of people. So my turnaround's a little bit longer. But if you I take longer in what, at what stage? Like interviewing them? Yeah, like vetting them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because a lot of my positions, I'm, I'm relocating people. So I have to make sure that they're good with the location, the family's good with the mm-hmm. location. Um, and I got to make sure that they're committed to the position or at least the opportunity. They've looked at the mm-hmm. job description. So, I tend to talk to people a couple of times before I'll submit them. Right. Um, but, you know, if I, if I start sourcing on a Monday, um, generally by a Thursday or a Friday, so by then I'll have at least a candidate or two to submit. Not always. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll have candidates right away. Other times it might take even longer. Um, mm-hmm. And then at that point, 
you know, for me, all I care about is up to the submittal stage, because once I submit the candidates, it's out of my hands. So at that point, the it's up to the client in terms of when they're going to get back to me with feedback and with interviews and things of that nature. Obviously, I'm following up and trying to push that along, but I can I only focus on what I can control, and I can con- only control up to the submission standpoint. After that, you know, obviously the client's the one that's driving it at that point. So, and that's where when I go back and I look at like matrices, I'm kind of going on a tangent, but if you look at like metrics and how I look at what I do and what I try to achieve, it's all focused on what I can do, not what the end result is. Like I don't really focus on end placements because there's so much that's out of my control, but I focus up to, you know, positions I'll take on or submittals or things of that nature. So. All right. Awesome. Well, let's talk about metrics in a second. Then, um, like, it sounds like if you're finding candidates on job boards and so on, like what percentage of the people that you're placing would you say are actively looking versus the ones who are passively open to opportunities? Uh, I would say it's probably like 60, 70% active. The other 30 okay, passive. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I and are you go ahead? How is that working for you right now when it's such a tight job market in every industry? Like there seems to be um, more openings than there are candidates available. Uh, I mean, it's definitely a challenge, Um, Mm. but you know, I I think it. I I don't know. I I look at a lot of things differently, but it's it's. I think I have more success because of where I'm starting from. And what I mean by that is if I partner with good companies that Mm -hmm. have good reputations, that have good positions with great opportunity, with growth, good salaries, bonuses, benefits, all that stuff. If I'm going to the marketplace with those type of positions, Mm. it's easier for me to get candidates because they'll be like, oh, I know them. Or Gosh, that's paying well. Oh, this, that, whatever. And take it even a step further. Like I had it happen this morning, actually, before we jumped on the call. I had a candidate who had three competing offers. And when it boiled down to it, they were all relatively the same. Um, Each had their plus and minuses, but he went with my offer. And then the other two was represented by other recruiters. But in the end, he went with mine because he's like, I just had a better feel for your company. I just, I like the organization. I like what they're all about. And and it's just a matter of if you're representing good companies, it's going to make your life that much easier, particularly in a marketplace like this where everybody is looking to hire and you're, there's competition everywhere. So if you have a, a good foundation in terms of the client side, it makes your job that much easier. I don't know if that makes sense. Do you know, that's so. really interesting. It's so true, but I haven't heard many people articulate that, Craig, that like rep- choosing your clients wisely and recruiting for companies that people want to work for. And the, like, that's, uh, it sounds kind of obvious when you say it, but I think that is incredible. So how do you vet your clients then? Because you talked about you spend a lot of time vetting your candidates, but what's your criteria for deciding whether or not you actually want to represent a company? Uh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, part of it is I've been doing this for 12 years in one space. Mm -hmm. And so it's allowed me to weed through, you know, different companies. And then you also hear, yeah, I mean, if you're one space long enough, 
right? You hear about companies. And the ones that I hear about, I just don't go after, if you know what I mean. So there are certain companies that the reputation isn't good. I don't want to partner them because I feel also it devalues me as a recruiter because then it'd be like, oh, you you represent that company? Like, don't you know about them? You know, that type of thing. But really what I do is, and this is where the automation helps out, is because I, I get... I get a lot of new business um, and I'm constantly getting new business. Um, I think this year I should have looked, but I think this year I've already brought in uh, 35, it was like 30 to 35 new companies, right? Wow. And what I give every company an opportunity, right? And some of them I'll, I hate to use the word fire, but a lot, some of them I will part ways with them uh, fairly quickly into a search. Because I'll know, okay, they're not up to the standard that I want. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes it's just they don't, you know, they want to do an 18 or 20% fee, and I just won't do that. Um, mm-hmm. And they just weed themselves out that way. But I give everybody an opportunity. And then when I partner with them, um, I obviously I'm never going to visit them. I'm never going to be at their facility. But by partnering with them on a search, I get a feel for who they are and how they operate. And so I know, and if it's kind of like, the process is a mess and it's all over the place and it's just very chaotic or whatever. I, I just know that's how the organizations run. And so guess what? I just say, Hey, thanks, but no thanks. Um, yep. Or if I had, I had one client, I had two placements with this year and they had boatload of openings. I'm sure I could have made more, but the contact wasn't that great of a person. And mm. one time snapped at me and I said, Oh, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I'm not in this for, you know, to have people treat me this way. And so what it is, is I give everybody an equal opportunity. And it's just, as you work your way through the process, you determine and you realize who is someone you want to hold on to for the long time. And, and sometimes yeah, it's candidates yeah. telling you, cause they'll be like, Oh no, I know about them. Oh no, this, that, this is, and you hear it enough. Then you're like, okay, this isn't going to be someone I want to represent. Right. If you hear it from one person, you think, Oh, well they just, you know, but Sour if you grapes, hear it multiple yeah. times, then yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. What I love though that you're saying, Craig, is, and this is, I think, the big lesson for recruiters listening is your business development engine is always running as well. So you've got the automation for the business development too, right? Absolutely. And the candidate side. Absolutely. So that puts you in a position that you can pick and choose your clients that you want to represent, and then everyone else is a source. So you've got your off-limits companies that you're partnering with. And then you've got lots of target companies that you don't want to recruit for. And um, I think where recruiters get stuck is they're they're either flipping back and forth, they're either recruiting and they're not business developing, or they're doing business development and they're not recruiting. And they don't have enough deal flow. They don't have enough you know, job order flow that they can be selective. And so they end up wasting so much time and it's, you know, um, emotional energy on companies that they probably really shouldn't be working on. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're working on what they've got instead of, you know, being able to work for the best. So I think that's a huge takeaway from what you just said. So talk to me about your metrics. Uh, What do you measure and how do you measure it? Um, I really, I just, I measure it on how many positions I work on each week is what I do. I mean, that's, okay. that's it. It's as simple as that. And, and from there, 
that's where I, I have, I've been tracking data for 12 years. So I've got year over year data on everything. Um, but mm-hmm. I know if I work on three positions a week, um, mm-hmm. that's 150 positions a year because you figure two weeks of the year, you're not working at all. So it's three weeks, 50 or 50 weeks, three positions. That's 150 positions a year. My fill ratio is usually around like 33, 32 to 33%. Um, but I just say 30%. So then that means I'm filling about 45 positions. And then my average salary is about a hundred. And then my average, um, well, a little over, it's like 105. And then my average fee is about 23 and a half. So it's like my person, my placement's about 25,000. So 45 placements at 25,000 gets me just over seven figures. And so, uh, for me, I don't even really look at how many submittals I do. I don't look at how many interviews I do. I track it all, but I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really, it's not that I don't care, but it's not important to me. What's important to me is that I work on three new positions every week and they have to be good vetted positions. And so if I do that, then I know based off of history and what I've done in the past that I know I will be somewhere right around a million in terms of billing or fees. And that's, that's what I look at. So what, what I love about your system, Craig, is you have a formula that you have worked out over time and it is, it's working for you. And so you're geared up to do one deal a week, basically, mm-hmm. right? Cause you're working three positions and you fill one in three. And I think you've like most people listening will go, that sounds impossible. How do you do like work three uh jobs per week but you've created a system and a tech stack to enable you to handle that volume right Absolutely. and not only just handle it but do it and and i to be clear and it's a really important distinction you're not just working on three positions a week you're f- talking about three vetted positions that are good opportunities with good companies that you think you know, that you're happy to represent and that you feel like you've got a good shot of filling, right? Absolutely. You're not just working on crap. And that's, so, you know, uh, I'll tell you this much. I, when I really got a hold of these numbers and truly started understanding yeah. it, and I, because I'll go backwards. Like when I was billing like four, 450 a year, I was working. Which is still excellent, by the way. Like that's, <laughs> you know, that's your, your, your average year is most people's like, Best every year. So, right. Um, I look back and I was working on maybe one and a half to two positions a week, you know, really more like one and a half. And part of that was because I was, you know, I was running a company and I was still doing some sales and I was, you know, having meetings and working with people, whatever. Um, And so I wasn't 100% dedicated to the, the recruiting and sales and all that. But once I realized by implementing, and having the tech stack going, I was like, gosh, I'm working like three, four positions now. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then, you know, during the last year, I mean, to go from, okay, I did about 450-ish, you know, 400 a year. Also, now I'm going to do 800. I was like, okay, is this sustainable or is this just like a one-year thing? And when I went back and looked at it, I was like, well, yeah, it's sustainable because I was always doing 400 and I was working about one to one and a half positions, two positions a week. Well, now I'm working three to three and a half. So it makes sense. I doubled my output. So now 
I'm doubling my 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 billings. And mm. the biggest thing besides being able just to focus 100% on the business and not, you know, other employees and things of that nature was the automation allowed me to basically go from working on one to two positions to now three-ish, sometimes four, sometimes two. Um, but oh, what I was getting to, that was a tangent, was at the beginning of the year, of this year, I really, I'm like, gosh, well, if I do four positions a week, then that's 200 fills or two, that's 200, um, positions. And now I'm, I'm going to fill, you know, 60. And now, you know, now I'm looking at like one and a half, like this is amazing. But what I started doing was, is I was taking on positions that I normally wouldn't have taken on because I was more focused about getting the four place or the four positions a week not so much as making sure that they were good positions. And what happened was my fill ratio went down, my satisfaction mm. went down, and I was dealing with a lot of more uh, noise, if you want to, if you want to call it, you know. Yeah, and yeah, so, no, totally. So what I did was, is I kind of like had a coming to Jesus with myself. I'm like, this isn't, this is. I'm getting fixated on the wrong things. So I'm like, I got to go back to what I'd done in the past, which is vet the clients, vet the organizations, make sure I'm working with part with companies that are good, so that. I can still get three positions a week, but it's the three positions I want to work on. And since mm-hmm. doing that, now my fill ratio is going back to where it's been uh, compared to previous I think years. So the the piece that we haven't had time to talk about today, but I we, we you and I have spoken about before, which people also need to be aware of, is because you're working a niche, you've got your food, you know, uh, manufacturing specialist you're able to recycle your inventory to some extent. Like, do you have candidates who you're putting forward to multiple opportunities at once or? Uh, yeah, uh, not as much as you would think, but yeah. Um, okay. Because, you know, I, I could have, you know, 30 different positions in 20 different states. So unless I have someone who's really mobile and willing right. to go to a lot of places, yeah, it doesn't happen as often. But yeah, there, okay. I would say maybe one in five candidates, I, I put them to multiple positions. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it, it's it's because I'm so spread out geographically. It, right, it, I see. It, it's not as prevalent. Um, that makes sense. One thing you you hit on too is, you know, for I think for to get to where I'm at uh, and to be as successful as I have been, and everyone talks about it, but it, you've got to have your niche. You've got to find it, and, and you've got to live it, breathe it, and be it. Because if you're in that niche, it makes your life a lot easier. If you're all over the place, it's just so difficult. So, Absolutely. Craig, I feel like we could talk forever here and uh, our time is up. Thank you so much for sharing some of the secrets to your success. It's been really valuable and I look forward to um, continuing our relationship. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. This was fun. Thank you for listening. Just before you go, let me ask you one question. Who in your network would make a great guest on the Resilient Recruiter podcast? I'm always on the lookout for interesting people to interview, recruitment entrepreneurs who embody the ethos of the Resilient Recruiter. If you're a regular listener, you'll know the kind of person I'm looking for. Ordinary men and women who've achieved extraordinary things. Specifically, I'm looking for someone with a great story to tell, someone who's overcome adversity in pursuit of their goals, and who's open to sharing their own mistakes and learning experiences with our listeners. In the words of previous guests, John Coxon and Alex Elliott, I'm looking for someone with humble confidence, 
They could be a top producing solo or independent recruiter or the owner of a fast growing firm. Maybe that person is you. Or maybe it's someone you know. Send me your recommendations, mark at recruitmentcoach.com or feel free to nominate yourself. And if you think you meet the criteria I've just outlined, I'd love to hear from you. Once again, it's mark at recruitmentcoach.com. Remember to hit subscribe and I'll see you next time.